story time so back in 2014 i had the opportunity to participate in the japan east asia network of exchange for students and youths aka genesis a project by the japanese government where they invite hundreds of students mostly college and grad students in high experience for a week-long immersive experience in certain areas of the country at the time i needed to renew my passport asap if i were to be accepted in the program i got a little help thanks to a little network of connections that allowed me to have my renewal expedited which by the way is typical for some folks in situations where there is an urgency to renew their passport but you know that's not really part of this story now what i'm about to share isn't exactly a unique personal experience i mean it's happened so much in my life and that's precisely why i am talking about it now but this one particular experience is one that's always stuck with me look i'm pretty aware i have a unique name price environ i have a first name that's typically a surname and a second name that I've never seen in a human name, which is to say, it's definitely a noun but rarely used to name a person. My name is also quite ambiguous, androgynous even. It's neither feminine nor masculine, to me at least. But apparently, based on this not at all unique personal experience back in 2014, some strangers who've never met me in person tend to interpret my name as masculine. Therefore, they tend to assume I'm a dude. <laughs> That's exactly what the person helping us that day assumed about my identity, because prior to arriving at the DFA in Pasay, I sent a copy of my birth certificate in advance. So when she saw me in person, she couldn't connect the dots. It was an error 404 moment for her. But also at the same time, I mean, didn't she check my birth certificate properly? <laughs> Could have saved her the embarrassment. Her assumptions were complicated by the sight of my old passport. Like, I mean, the really old Philippine passports that were green and handwritten. Granted, when I was a kid, I looked more androgynous. You know, I had my hair kept short, the cut was arguably a little more masculine and i admit that the haircut i had in that old passport was mother effing ugly <laughs> in other words you know i had an ugly ass bowl cut i'm not gonna show it to y'all <laughs> she was convinced that i was male like my apparently masculine sounding name wasn't evidence enough and that my old passport photo was the smoking gun she needed the experience was a little embarrassing, I must admit, fellow feminists in progress. Here's this stranger whose help I needed, but I was having my gender identity questioned. That's why I still remember that moment to this day, seven years later. Of course, I couldn't sass and, you know, tell her off. After all, she was in a position of power, and I needed something from her that day. Besides, objectively speaking, she wasn't being malicious, just ignorant, I guess. The way she went about it was just really uncalled for. 
as I've said, this isn't a unique personal experience. That is, you know, I have had countless experiences where assumptions were made about my gender identity based on my name alone. Immediately, there is an assumption that it is a masculine name and therefore I must be a man. Well, if that were the case, I'd like some of that male privilege, please. Sans a photo of me or a gendered title like Miss, people typically assume I am male. Like, you know, the HR of one of my workplaces when I first applied there, the bank that insisted on using the title Mr. on my name, even though I clearly ticked off my gender identity in my account application, even moderators of a webinar, even though my profile photo displays my face and actually these are just ones that i can actually remember but the moment they see me in person you know a female assigned at birth with a feminine gender expression and you know is therefore signifying that she is a woman there's that quick short circuit moment of embarrassment and slight confusion when they realize there's a disparity between their assumption and the person that they see before them. Because somehow the unspoken rule is, if you were born a girl, you need to have a girl's name, and you have to dress and act like a girl. Why? Because that's convenient. I suppose I could psychoanalyze myself and say that by the time I got to my late teens to early 20s, I assumed a more feminine gender expression than my androgynous gender expression as a kid precisely because of all those assumptions about my gender when I was a kid and the lack of gender expression that more neatly aligned to my assigned gender at birth. Sheesh, that's a lot of gender for one line of thought. Like, is my current feminine gender expression an overcompensation for my lack of femininity as a kid? You know, a time in, in my life when Things like socially imposed gender roles and traits were the least of my worries. Or is it because the older I got, the more these gender roles and traits were imposed on me or the more I internalized them? Which then leads me to the question. Are these gender traits and roles inherent or inherited? As a kid, I may not have been the most feminine. As a matter of fact, I sort of rejected it, found it frivolous, even though kid version of me didn't know what the word frivolous meant. <laughs> I, I was shy about wearing clothes deemed feminine, like dresses and the color pink. I felt like I would end up drawing attention to myself. But I still liked things deemed feminine. I owned several Barbies throughout my childhood, loved playing the role of the teacher when I played with the neighborhood kids, enjoyed playing Chinese Carter with other girls, worshipped Britney Spears and swooned over boy bands, cried when my parents told me that we couldn't buy a Britney Spears doll at the time, and emulated Hilary Duff's iconic character Lizzie McGuire. As a matter of fact, in 6th grade, every Friday was a uniform-free day at school and I wore my outfits to resemble Lizzie, and this was the first moment in my adolescence when I felt comfortable enough to embrace my femininity. By the time I got to high school, I was a bit more tomboy-ish for the first three years. When I got to senior year, 
I embraced my inner punk rock princess. <laughs> so, I ask again, are our ideas about gender and the way we execute these ideas inherent or inherited? Our names, specifically our forenames, can be a gendered process, Jane Pilcher argues. This is especially apparent when newborns are given forenames, when transgender people choose forenames for themselves, when heterosexual women marry, and when children are given surnames. It's the first one, the giving of forenames to newborns, that I want to focus on in this episode both to just narrow things down and because it's one I can speak on based on experience. But if you're interested in reading Pilcher's paper, I've left a link to it in the, the description. In a lot of cultures, it is typical to give newborns gender-specific forename. Boy names for boys and girl names for girls. Androgynous or gender-neutral forenames are rare. Hence, you know, my aforementioned experiences. Even books for baby names even tend to segregate names for boys from names for girls. Before or after we are born, well, usually after we have been classified based on our sex characteristics, the next step in the gender game of life is to be given a first name. So the way it goes typically is that this baby has a vagina. That means it is female. She will then have a girl's name. And then so on and so forth that this girl must live the very feminine life, must marry a man, you know. <laughs> a name further functions in the management of gender conduct appropriate to sex category. That is, you will know that this baby is a girl not only because of what we choose to dress her with and the name we gave her without having to, to determine her sex category based on her genitals. Our first name, therefore, is supposed to function as a tool in our repeated categorization as male or female throughout our life. In a way, my very existence is an example of R.W. Connell's concept of contradictory embodiment. Which is to say, my existence breaches the normative expectations about the coincidences of bodies, sex category, gender, and forenames. My body, sex category, and gender identity and expression all align but my forename Apparently, does not. In Pilcher's paper, she cited studies that suggest that girls with forenames typically meant for boys may gain some advantage from their contradictory embodiment since it may mean, for example, an increased likelihood of studying science and mathematics. Another study cited by Pilcher suggests that for girls and women, having a forename that is recognizably typical for their sex category and gender can be disadvantageous in some circumstances. In a study of gender bias among science faculty staff seeking to hire a laboratory manager 
scholars Moss Rakusin and colleagues showed that in otherwise identical job applications, candidates with the sex type forename of John were rated more highly than were candidates with the sex type forename of Jennifer. Based on that, Pilcher argues that forenames are important in the doing of gender in terms of maintaining a gender hierarchy in which masculinities are routinely ranked over and above femininities. No surprise there. If you think about it, it's easy to perceive first names as mere labels we apply to individuals in order to identify them. First names individualize us, humanize us even. Rarely do we think of how gendered our first names can be. That's because at birth, a child is typically given a forename which is normatively appropriate for the sex categorization attributed to their body. Studies show that the choice of androgynous or sex-slash-gender-neutral forenames, which might serve to disrupt the gender order, they remain a rarity. So, going against the flow of the gender game by giving more gender-neutral forenames or naming babies with a forename typically associated with a different gender, like for example, Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds naming one of their daughters, James, it isn't going to change the world anytime soon. And, you know, not in my lifetime anyway. I think what could end up happening is what's always been happening. A name is just going to swing to the other side of the pendulum of the gender binary. This name may be considered masculine now, but eventually it will be considered feminine. Instead of the eradication of the ideas that names are gendered. There are still going to be people like me who will go through the inconveniences of being misgendered. And I know using the term misgendered can come across as tone deaf especially since the experience of misgendering is much worse, much more harmful and dysphoric for transgender people. I suppose my point is, the undoing of inherited ideas about gender takes a lot of work. These ideas we inherited about gender are now taken to be common sense ideas. So... We don't think about them that much to do anything to change them. And as Pilcher herself wrote in the conclusion of her study, far from being even and equal, forwarding practices and their consequences are heavily sex and gender typed and provide evidence of the continued valuing of masculinities over femininities. Whenever people mistake me for a man based on my first name, I typically have a negative reaction to it. I mean, wouldn't you? Because to me, I feel negated, as though my femininity, my womanhood, as if they were invalidated. It feels like part of myself has been rendered invisible. I mean, I am a woman, and I am damn proud to be one. It just so happens that the name I was given at birth, a unique one at that, doesn't fit into your idea of what you think a woman should have as a first name. At some point, 
I thought about adapting a nickname. Something a little more feminine, air quotes. Just to kind of make things easier for me. But would I really be making things easier for myself? Or would I end up actually making things easier for others so that they can easily align my name with my gender identity? Why should I have to make accommodations for others who find more comfort knowing that a person's body, gender identity, gender expression, and forename all align to one gender slash sex category? On a different but important note, I do my best to normalize introducing myself with my pronouns even if I am not trans because I want to show people that gender expression is not always equal to gender identity. I see the point of normalizing the expression of pronouns because a lot of people I encounter still hold on to old ideas about names and gender. My gender expression is almost always feminine, though I admit I try to be fluid about it because that's what I feel like. That's how I see myself. But when I do, you know, express myself as mostly feminine, it means that it aligns with my gender identity. You know, that isn't always the case for everyone. So somebody may be feminine, but they may actually identify as a man. So, I don't know. Maybe stop making assumptions about people's gender identity based on their gender expression? I don't know. Or I don't know. Maybe stop assuming that one's gender expression has to align with their gender identity. Or maybe throw out the idea that forenames are inherently gendered, that you can make a value judgment on someone based on whether their name is masculine or feminine, and that the two are in some hierarchical order? I don't know. Try to check your gender baggage. Thanks for joining me on this first season of A Feminist in Progress. I did it. <laughs> I managed to put out an entire season. Um, I don't know when I'll be back for season 2 because as of production, I, I, I don't know how the rest of my 2021 looks like. Which is to say, um, there are some things I can't talk about yet, but I am actually quite excited for and I hope they turn out well. So, uh... Long story short, I don't know when I'll be back or when I'll be able to put out new episodes. Meanwhile, um, I want to thank everyone who has listened, followed the podcast on Spotify or other platforms to stay updated. Those who followed the podcast on social media, who shared and recommended the podcast. Um, every bit of support means a lot. And actually, it really warms my heart getting messages about um, how the podcast has taught people certain things and that i've given them a certain um points of view i think that that was the whole point of doing the podcast anyway so i look forward to still doing more i am hoping that my schedule gets a little busier for the rest of 2021 but i'll still be able to make new episodes because i still got ideas about future episodes I don't know, this is a passion project, it will remain to be so, it will remain to be independent, so 
no matter how busy my schedule can potentially be, I'll still work on this. <laughs> I hope that you too are on your journey as a feminist in progress. Until then, remember, it's about progress, not perfection.